0: And welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean.
1: And I'm the very titular Carrie.
0: It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hey. You're back in the driver's seat this week. I am indeed. Uh, And this is a very special um, sort of an anniversary episode for us, isn't it?
1: A little bit. It's our uh, 75th episode this week.
0: Ooh-wee. Yeah, This is the diamond episode, right? Did you bring me a diamond?
1: Is that diamond, 75?
0: Maybe that's 50. Actually, <laughs> most people probably don't get married for 75 years.
1: Oh, well, I hope we do. We'll be very old, though.
0: Yeah, very, yeah, quite old. <laughs> oh, a hundred and- Possibly too old. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe that we've come this far with the show. I mean, it is a bit easier to believe because we do work our butts off every week on this research Uh and uh we we try to make sure out that we're mm. and we try to make sure that we're putting out a good product every single time that's a point of pride for us right sean
0: uh that it is has been uh the whole time Mm
1: -hmm. and it seems like just yesterday we were recording roast to roast a.m for our 50th episode and here we are already 25 later
0: yeah, if you happen to be a new listener, um, head on back. We've got plenty of archives, and uh, I really think we actually hit our stride pretty early, Carrie. So uh, I
1: sure hope so, for their sake.
0: Yeah, so jump on into that archive and uh, splash around. Have a little fun. Mm-hmm. Speaking of splashing around, our last couple of <laughs> weeks have been oh, spent with uh, horrible tragedies at sea. Mm-hmm. So I hope so you've got something a little bit sunnier for us this week, Caroline.
1: Well, not quite, Uh-oh. but um, I'm just going to say at the top right, here that we have a lot of exciting things still to come for all of you listeners, including some great news we're psyched to share with you, but all in due time, dear friends.
0: Yep, uh, big happenings over here, but we're going to have to wait until at least next week for any any big new announcements, although... Um... We can tell them about our new website, right?
1: Yeah. Go check out our revamped website at com. That's com, And feel free to leave some love. Oh, my wife
0: made it so pretty over there. (laughs) So pretty and so easy to use. Go take a look. And here's my favorite part. There's like a search function over there now where Mm -hmm. you can search our episodes.
1: And I've categorized them all painstakingly. So we have categories like true crime, paranormal, uh, conspiracies, weird history everything's strange so whatever you're feeling whatever kind of mood you're in you could search by category and just go on and binge you know i'm
0: a very simple creature but it just really truly delighted me to see (laughs) that you could go on our website and search like bigfoot and it would show you the episodes that mention bigfoot
1: well it's nice that um we have enough episodes that a search function is useful (laughs) yes (laughs) if we had like 10 it'd be like well you know i could just scroll yeah. Well, we're building
0: up that coast to coast style archive.
1: <laughs> our site now has easy access to leaving reviews, checking out our YouTube videos, which right now are basically just um, episodes. Audiograms, yeah, of our episodes. So if you're already listening to the podcast, nothing too crazy going on over there, but there's a couple of extra little things tidbits um and we might be doing more with that so you should subscribe and you can even leave us voicemails now on our website oh i
0: actually didn't know this they can
1: Mm -hmm. there's this like pinkish purple button on the bottom right has a microphone symbol on it you just click that record and leave us your thoughts uh nice ones we hope please don't leave us mean (laughs) voicemails i don't think my fragile psyche could handle it at this point
0: I speak to Carrie sometimes after she goes through our YouTube comments, and I can confirm that she can't.
1: I will say that mostly uh, it's it's people who are angry leaving comments on things. So if you like the show, leave us a nice <laughs> review or a nice voicemail. It'll be a, a, a good welcome thing for, for me, for my soul.
0: Yeah, and we, <laughs> we'd love to play some listener voicemails on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely.
1: If you have... Um, Personal experiences in the realms of the paranormal, or, or personal connections to anything, um, leave us a voicemail. We'd love to we'd love to play it on the show.
0: Yep, you might hear it at the uh, at the end of an episode sometime.
1: Mm-hmm. But for our seventy fifth, our present episode, I wanted to bring it back to our roots. And listeners, if you've listened to our first couple episodes, you know we're deeply based in local legends and lore, local to Connecticut, that is.
0: That is local for us, yeah.
1: Yes, uh, we love our oft-maligned state as a site of much history and is weirdness. It off-maligned? Uh, if you go on TikTok, everyone hates Connecticut. <laughs> everyone in New England is like, "Vote Connecticut out." Everyone in New York is like, "Connecticut is a bunch of rich assholes." There's not a lot of good vibes about Connecticut. Even the people who live here, uh, they tend to complain about it. Well, I, I like it. I but. do
0: think everyone complains about where they're from. That's but, true. But yeah.
1: Um, so we love sharing these kind of lesser known stories with you about this area. So with that in mind, we're taking a trip back to the cemetery to cover one that we haven't before, one that has been called the most haunted cemetery in America, Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut.
0: All right. Now, Carrie, first things first, this is right in our backyards. It's one of the most Mm -hmm. haunted cemeteries in the country. Uh, How did it escape notice on our previous... um,
1: Literally, I knew I was going to do this episode at some point, and I knew it warranted a full episode. And I think I mentioned it in the first couple episodes we did, and also the Haunted Cemetery series we did. You did.
0: I, I'm just, um, for listeners I'm, who weren't there. I was
1: saving it, and here we are for our 75th. Uh, and Sean knows I love Union Cemetery. Uh, it's got a mix of very old and very new stones in it.
0: Oh, do you love it? Did we Did we take our engagement photos there by any chance? Yes, we
1: did. Uh, we did take some of our engagement photos there. We weren't doing it to be morbid, but just because it felt like a very unique place to celebrate the things we enjoy together. And we obviously especially enjoy the spookier side of history.
0: That's right. I think you might be able to see at least one of those on the podcast, on the yes. aforementioned revamped website. And
1: I'll throw something on... Um. Instagram as well. And bless our photographer Kristen, who you can find at LBFphoto.com. She's little but fierce photography. She really rolled with the idea of taking some of the pictures in the cemetery, and we got some really gorgeous shots.
0: Yeah, and I keep seeing my drunk ass on her Instagram e- ever <laughs> since our reception. So so she well, took the some picture good shots of you of our-
1: dancing um is epic and and great. So thank you, Kristen. So Union uh, is a special place to us. And you really feel like you're walking through centuries of history in this one small area of land. It's right off the road, but it also feels incredibly peaceful while you're inside of it. And part of the reason that we took the pictures there is because especially in the fall, the surrounding area is really breathtakingly beautiful. I mean, the trees the fields, and there's, you know, like farms nearby, so you can go apple picking or pumpkin picking. It's really a beautiful area. Now, we didn't have any spooky experiences during this particular photo shoot, but some say that they've had a very different time when shooting and ghost hunting at night. And that's what we'll be talking about today, the very, very haunted history of Union Cemetery.
0: Ooh. Are we going to talk about the Warrens, too?
1: We are, but not in the way that you want to, Sean. I will I will mention them um, because they're very important to this story, but I know you want to do an expose at some point, so I'll <laughs> leave that up to you. Let's back it up to cover some of the origins of the Easton area, which is close to where both of us grew up.
0: Uh, that's right. It's just 15 minutes, 15, 30.
1: Yep, pretty much in that radius. Union Cemetery is nearly 400 years old, so it dates back to almost to the time when Connecticut itself was established. Easton was first officially settled in 1757 by men and women from the town of Fairfield, uh, which was itself established in 1639. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, of course, let's not forget that these men and women were originally Europeans. They were Puritans and Congregationalists from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. More on them if you go to our Salem Witch Trials episodes. Uh, Yes,
0: the very same Puritans.
1: And they were not the people indigenous to this land, obviously. According to the Easton Historical Society, quote, a battle took place in the area that is now Southport in 1637, known as the Great Swamp Fight, and the natives were from a group called the Pequinox, an Algonquin-speaking group made up of five separate groups or bands. And Sean, if you go to Southport now, you can see a, a little monument to the Great Swamp War or Swamp Fight right outside of a Dunkin' Donuts down there.
0: It doesn't sound like great.
1: <laughs> it's right near a Goodwill that I like to go to because uh, it's got some good thrifty finds there.
0: No, I mean the fight doesn't sound...
1: A uh, Swamp Fight does not sound great, no. Now, one of these bands of uh, Pequinox, the Aspatucks, settled in an area called the Great Swamp or Middlebrook Swamp in what is now Easton, somewhere along the current-day Cricker's Brook, perhaps now beneath the Hemlock Reservoir.
0: They give their name to some delicious IPAs today over at Mm. Aspatuck Brew Lab. (laughs) Um, Because, boy, there's nothing of of those folks' language that we can't just take and uh, use for
1: ourselves. Yeah, yeah. In 1670 or 71, Native leaders signed deeds with the town of Fairfield and the Pequinox signed similar deeds with Fairfield and with Stratford. This purchase by Fairfield from the natives secured the last six miles of the town common of the Native Americans land holdings in the area for the sum of, six, of 36 pounds sterling.
0: Hard to tell. Whenever we hear stuff like that. About, oh, from like
1: 400. I mean, I have no concept. I have literally
0: of... no idea what that it was worth mm-hmm. at the time not
1: enough certainly it might I'm have sure.
0: been it might have been a fair price we don't know i don't think it
1: i can't think that it was this area included what is now easton and then it was settled by the new fairfield society we uh, fast forward some years and we have union cemetery at the junction of what is now route 59 and route 136 now if you're on the right road you can't miss it. It's enclosed by an old school iron fence and there's a sign out front that proclaims area closed sunset to sunrise.
0: Woo. Lots of cemeteries have that one.
1: <laughs> and there's also a small church building that sits across the street. So how did Union become known as one of the most haunted cemeteries in the world? Well, part of that, as Sean mentioned before, is due to our old friends and Connecticut natives, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yes, the stars of the Conjuring films live just minutes away from Union, and they studied it extensively to due to the legends surrounding the space, which they documented in their book, Graveyard.
0: Yeah, they are much sexier con artists in... Um... The Conjuring films than they than they are in real life.
1: Well, they're not portrayed as, con, as uh, con artists in those films, but I will agree on the sexy part. Lorraine told the Westport Daily Voice in 2011 that, quote, I know for a fact that this place is haunted. It's one of the most haunted places around. I'll be sharing some of the stories they recounted in Graveyard with you today.
0: For more on Ed and Lorraine, you can always check back to our Bridgeport Poltergeist mm-hmm. episode, and I'm sure we will cover them more in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, even growing up, I heard legends about Union as I had about Dudleytown. I was told it had dozens of officially documented ghost sightings by people like police officers and firemen who had been called to the scene or were driving by when they had their experiences. I was also told that it was constantly patrolled by the police after dark due to the popularity of the area with ghost hunters and that you would get arrested if they caught you in there at night.
0: Have you found that to be true?
1: I've heard tell of it or fines, but I have never gone there at night because I am a big puss.
0: I know you haven't. In terms of getting in trouble with the law, you haven't gone and trespassed there. No, um, I I didn't know if you knew whether there were actually police drive-throughs after dark.
1: I'm not often there around there at night. Uh, Usually, I'm driving by, or we're doing something in the fall and we're stopping in. Um, I'll, I'll update you all if I ever am there at night and see it happen for myself. Of course, I also heard many tales about Union Cemetery's famous white lady apparition.
0: Which is why the ghost hunters are there, which is why the cops are
1: there. Yes, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll start with some short tales to get the blood chilling. (laughs) The Warrens wrote that several decades ago, and this account came from 1992, so let's say this means somewhere in the mid-20th century. Sure. A murder occurred that may have ties to the white lady legend, but certainly has a gruesome connection to the cemetery itself. And this cemetery is connected to a lot of murders, like more than you would think.
0: Connected how? (laughs) Like murder victims are buried there or like murders took place there? Yes. Both. (laughs) Yes. Well, lots of cemeteries probably have people who were murdered in them.
1: Well... Considering how few murders we typically encounter in this area, especially Easton, which is a very low-key area, um, it seemed like a lot (laughs) over the years. Ellen Smathers was a lovely young woman who worked as an organist for her church. I believe it might have been the one across from Union, and it wasn't uncommon for the uh, the men around her to develop feelings for her. Unfortunately for them, Ellen was happily married to John Smathers, an outdoorsman who worked for the nearby plant. Ellen was known around town and tragically became the object of obsession of one Richard Dean Jason. Oh, no. So we got a three-namer, three-first-namer. Well,
0: you always know someone's (laughs) going to be murdered by that guy Mm -hmm. as soon as you hear the middle name.
1: Jason lived near Monroe and would often see Ellen going about her day downtown and even walking by Union Cemetery on nice days. Not a lot was known about Jason as he was a newcomer to the area, but it was rumored that he'd spent his younger years as a carny.
0: Okay, I'm not going to (laughs) pass any judgment on carnival folk. It it doesn't give him like an air of bona fide legitimacy. This isn't like a suitor we're excited to see coming around.
1: Well, here's where this story gets very strange. Jason was said to be the protege of a certain Swami Lorenz, a carnival mentalist. One day, Lorenz gazed into his crystal ball and saw a vision of his young friend Jason uh, taking Narda, the carnival's trapeze artist, also a beautiful young lady, into the tunnel of love and attempt to choke her to death after learning she'd been unfaithful to him.
0: Oh, my God. Was this a pre-crime? Is this a minority report?
1: (laughs) The Swami was disturbed by the vision and told Jason not to go into the tunnel. But apparently he did. And in there, he was possessed by a sudden rage. Only the Swami's lucky intervention stopped Jason from choking Narda. And so Jason fled the carnival and eventually ended up in Connecticut. Why do I feel like that's a Twilight Zone episode I've seen? <laughs> well, I mean, who knows if that's true, but that's the story that was surrounding Jason. I don't know. What, re- what did happen was that he became obsessed with Ellen Smathers, stalking her and attempting to convince her to be with him. Eventually, as is wont to happen in small towns, the news of Jason's stalking reached Ellen's husband, John. Some say that John visited Jason Some say that John visited Richard Jason a few times, warning him to stay away from his wife.
0: I'm I'm a big outdoorsman, you see, you just stay away from my wife.
1: However, this didn't deter Jason. He had become convinced that if John Smathers were to die, Ellen would marry him. So, of course, he went about trying to make that happen.
0: Oh, I was I was sure this was going to break bad for Ellen. I mean, this is breaking bad for Ellen, but I thought she was going to be the murder victim.
1: Well, the plan was to murder John Smathers and dump the body in a sinkhole close to the cemetery behind the Baptist church. And one night, John didn't come home. Ellen tried to call him at work, thinking he was there for overtime. No answer. In the morning, she called the police, who found that John had left work at his normal time and headed home along his normal route, but at some point, he disappeared. Policemen and search parties looked for John for the next several days to no avail, and they eventually gave up their search. John would be found, however. Despite weighing the body down and sinking it into the sinkhole, John's corpse eventually floated to the top and revealed itself to the world. The medical examiner wasn't sure how it was possible for the body to float back up a muddy sinkhole still attached to weights, but there it was, and it became clear that Smathers had been murdered. Soon after, Jason was pinned as the prime suspect, and hours after his arrest, he confessed to the murder of John Smathers.
0: I guess if it's a muddy sinkhole, it would would be easier, right, than if it was just a pool of water because the mud is going to settle down toward the bottom and maybe push you up?
1: Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I I couldn't tell (laughs) you. Richard Dean Jason spent the rest of his life in prison, wondering why Ellen never responded to his monthly letters. Well, for the best. And also wondering how a weighted down body had floated to the top of a sinkhole.
0: Oh, please tell me there's like a conspiracy angle. (laughs)
1: Some say the white lady is actually the spirit of Ellen Smathers, mourning the loss of her husband to her mad stalker.
0: Do the first appearances of the white lady come from after her death?
1: I would say the most appearances that I was able to track down are from the last century or so. Um, But who knows what's before that. Another story from Union Cemetery follows the tale of Don Parrish.
0: D-O-N or D-A-W-N? D-O-N. Okay.
1: Now, then I would, I would say Dawn because of my messed up I'm accent. Sorry,
0: Ms. Tomei.
1: Continue. <laughs> you wish. The 40-year-old Parrish was the cemetery sexton, tending the ground and doing handiwork in the area. One day, Parrish was hiking the countryside surrounding the cemetery with snowshoes, which was kind of a hobby of his, And well, there was a lot more open fields at the time and it had snowed and he liked to walk around the country. He usually hiked the Adirondacks. Yeah. Great hobby. He was a a 40 something single man. That was a cemetery sexton. This is what he does.
0: Yeah. My little sister lives in Norway, as you know,
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: and snowshoeing is pretty popular over there. Yeah. It's just like, what
1: they don't they don't got Netflix over there. It's Norwegian Netflix. Who knows what's on that?
0: You're this bored with the tennis (laughs) rackets on your feet? Really?
1: Well, during one of his snowshoeing expeditions, uh, he saw what he described as the Dark Man. As he was coming down the slope leading to the cemetery, he spotted a man dressed in black minister's clothes, clothes that looked to be from about 200 years before. Don attempted to call to the man and followed him up a hill, but no matter how he tried to get his attention, the dark man kept winding through the snow away from him. Parrish watched as the figure approached the crest of the hill and simply vanished, gone in an instant.
0: I know we haven't actually gotten to the white lady herself in detail yet.
1: Oh yeah, we will.
0: I know. That's going to be the big finish, of course. That's the big finish. But this feels... I have to mention her just because the dark man feels like... You know, NBC was getting great ratings off of The White Lady, so here's like the (laughs) follow-up the the next fall. Mm. They bust out a spinoff. Maybe. That inevitably doesn't do as well.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure what time period this occurred. Uh, I don't think it's said in the book. So it could have been earlier than The White Lady. Who knows?
0: If you like The White Lady, you'll love NBC's The Dark Man, (laughs) Thursdays at 8.
1: Well Don Parrish became obsessed after this experience. He lost interest in everything except for the Dark Man. Sometime later Parrish brought his friend Aaron to the cemetery to try and spot the Dark Man again. Aaron had become concerned for Don, but he humored him anyway, and he went along. They saw nothing as they walked through the hills that late Friday afternoon until they headed back to the cemetery, and then Don spotted it. Look, he said. Close to the perimeter of the cemetery was a young man wearing deerskins and a raccoon hat, the garb of a 17th century deer stalker. The clothes looked worn, not like a costume, and the young man seemed as startled by them as they were of him, staring at their clothes as they were staring at his. Don asked, what are you doing? And the young man responded in hard-to-understand English, as if it was from an earlier time. So it was like vaguely English, but it was very old-fashioned.
0: And it was hard enough to understand that they couldn't?
1: He got it kind of out of him. Uh, the, the young man said he was going to meet some friends of his by cutting across the field. However, Don knew that the path the man was talking about would be leading him directly through the eastern reservoir, which wasn't exactly hikeable. It's a reservoir.
0: Oh, I'm meeting some friends across <laughs> the apples. Any smokies over there? <laughs> and, and outside. <laughs>
1: This isn't 1888 Whitechapel. Now, the thing is, the reservoir hadn't always been there, so perhaps the man was from an earlier time. He started to walk away from Don and Aaron, and though they called for him to wait, he kept going. And then, like the dark man, he vanished right before both of their eyes.
0: Maybe he was just drinking early times. Or they were.
1: I don't know. But after this, Don's obsession became worse. He studied the occult and the paranormal. He had trouble sleeping, lost considerable weight. Friends would sometimes find him staring at the hill where he'd seen the ghostly men. A few weeks after this, he committed suicide. What? That took a turn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, Caroline. The day Don Parrish was buried, a local conservation officer reported seeing a mysterious figure of a man dressed in deerstalker clothes standing on the hill above Union Cemetery, watching and waiting.
0: God, if you said he died a second later, I was going to start making fun of Don.
1: (laughs) More stories to come after the break. Oh!
0: When last we left you, uh, my beautiful wife had just taken us through the history of Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut, as well as a few of the, I'm going to call them undercard ghosts, but mm-hmm.
1: uh, 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 undercard hauntings. <laughs> but we're moving along to the main event, Caroline. almost. Almost. Now, there's a bit of a thread throughout the stories in Graveyard that I haven't really delved into yet. And that is the Warren's apparent feeling that maybe those that become obsessed with Union Cemetery were actually possessed by some negative entity or energy.
0: Does that include themselves? Because I've never heard anyone talk (laughs) about Union Cemetery more than
1: them. Maybe. Uh, Not negatively, I assume. But it was a bit of a theory around Richard Jason's act of murder. And clearly Don Parrish went through a big personality shift after his experiences. And another story in this vein is that of Earl Kellogg. It was the Depression, 1935.
0: Wait, is this the guy who invented the cornflakes?
1: No. No, he invented being an asshole. Well, so did the cornflake guy. (laughs) Jane Kellogg ran an inn nearby to Easton with good food, good prices, and good vibes, aside from those of her husband, Earl. Earl seemed like your classic piece of shit. He was violently jealous and accusatory of any man who so much as smiled at his wife. He would argue with her customers, and he got into countless fistfights. He was, you might say, a good-for-nothing.
0: A no-good-nick.
1: Mm-hmm. Sometimes, as legend goes, he would hear voices, too. Voices that would tell him kindly Jane was being unfaithful. You've been
0: screwing the milkman, he said. (laughs) Then he ran onto my knife.
1: He ran onto my knife ten times. How many? Nine? A lot of times.
0: I think it's ten. It's ten or (laughs) twelve.
1: He had it coming! (laughs) Sometimes, when he'd directly accuse Jane of these things, he'd supposedly speak with a voice that was not his. It seems, at some point, he heard the voice call to him. The harlot must be punished.
0: In those words, this is... This is... This is some early serial killer shit.
1: It's not great. It's uncertain what finally triggered Earl's action uh, on the day that he did what he did. Some say that he became psychotic when a man brought Jane a bouquet of flowers. Others say it was something else entirely, unrelated to Jane. Either way, he developed some unfounded hatred for a local carpenter. One day, he lured this carpenter to the wooded area across the street from Union Cemetery, knocked him unconscious, and then lit him on fire.
0: If the carpenter was sending his wife flowers that's a lot. That's a Okay, that's but a you don't reaction. you don't light it on fire. I, I'm just saying it, <laughs> it wouldn't have been an unfounded hatred. Perhaps. <laughs> but let's not light people on fire. Let's Certainly not. I'll give you that.
1: I'm um, thank you. I'm glad you did. After this, Earl fled, and it's said that as he hid the demon possessing him took over entirely. When he was found and arrested, it's alleged that Earl kept on whispering to himself, over and over, or to someone else that none of the policemen could see. What year was this? 35. Earl wasn't doing great either way.
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like it.
1: (laughs) Fairfield County had never encountered a crime like this, and many called for the death penalty. Earl wouldn't say why he committed the crime or why he chose the area near Union Cemetery to commit it. During his trial, some of his own family said that Earl had long had a peculiar obsession with the cemetery and would often drive over there to park and look at the headstones. The Warrens finished the story of Earl Kellogg by saying, They insist that while Earl had always been a fighter, he had never been a killer, not before his visits to Union Cemetery took their toll not before he was heard to speak in voices not his own, and to a person no one else could see.
0: Well, that is a um, element that comes up in a lot of stories in which the Warrens are involved, I'll say. Mm -hmm. People speaking in others' voices.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So that's interesting.
1: Along with the White Lady, there is an entity nicknamed Red Eyes that is a popular site at Union.
0: Oh, I was also just going to say... No one is a murderer until they murder someone, and then all of a sudden they're a murderer. Do you know what I mean? That's it's like,
1: really good, Sean.
0: He's not a murderer. He's just a fighter. It's like, yeah, and then... And then he's a murderer. And then his fighting killed somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. So this red eyes might be the carpenter haunting the area where he was murdered, or perhaps it's Earl Kellogg himself, still possessed by the demonic entity that forced him to kill. mm Speaking of murder, we have one crazy story recounted in the Easton Courier by journalist Elizabeth Boyce in October 2020. Oh, really? Mm hmm. And it's also related to Union. So here's the gist. Okay. On the night of This is August- a
0: separate story. This isn't yes. related to the dark man or to that previous separate. murder. Okay.
1: On the night of August 30th, 1920, the police pulled over just off of Sport Hill Road next to Union Cemetery. A confessed murderer claimed to have hidden the body of his victim there. In the dense mud...
0: Wait, the guy pulled the police over and said...
1: No, he had told them. In the dense mud, a large green trunk was discovered, and in that, the body of George E. Knott. Knott was wrapped in a bloody comforter and curtains, and several large stones had been placed inside the trunk with him to weigh it down. Sound familiar?
0: Uh, To weigh it down...
1: In the mud... With the body. Oh, it's mud like that. It's that mud. It's like that deep. It's like the sinkhole. Yeah, okay. Now, George Knott was a self-described professional gambler, and he was married to Ethel in what was known to be an unhappy relationship. What year was this? 1920. No,
0: oh, because I feel like back in the... like We had some 1800s stories before. Back in the 1800s, I feel like having a bad marriage and being a professional gambler were kind of more in style.
1: <laughs> well... It certainly was for George. Ethel, for her part, described George as a liar, a cheat, and an opium user.
0: Oh, so she had some affection in her heart for him.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, seems, all bad. it seems that Ethel had given up on George by 1919 when she began sneaking around with Elwood B. Wade, a 23-year-old milkman who was married with children.
0: Is this going to lead to another murder?
1: Ethel and Elwood were often seen together and weren't exactly subtle with their relationship. As the Eastern Courier reports, it. Quote, Gossip in their Bridgeport neighborhood led to George confronting his rival and threatening his life. Elwood, a short and slight man, was greatly intimidated, and he ran to the police to report George's threatening statements. He was so panicked that he applied for a firearm permit only to be denied with the recommendation that he stay away from a married woman. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah. On the morning of Sunday, August 29th, 1920, George reportedly beat his wife for continuing to see her lover, and in retribution, purportedly, a plan was concocted to frighten and beat George.
0: Okay. He shouldn't have done the the beating, but I, I feel like this is going to continue to escalate. Mm-hmm.
1: Let's see what happens. With a fellow dairyman named John E. Johnston, Elwood snuck quietly into the knot house armed with a gun and a lead pipe. Well why both? Gotta be prepared, just in case you're playing a game of Clue.
0: I would almost argue a gun sort of doubles as a lead pipe. <laughs>
1: Ethel, who unlocked the door for them, led her children away and instructed them to play the mechanical piano in the parlor. So imagine the little kid Like a player
0: piano? She's no. Like, Take these quarters down to the piano.
1: No, it's uh it's like the little kid in It's a Wonderful Life playing the same thing over and over again. And then George likes, Cut it out. Uh, so the kids are playing the piano and the two milkmen tried to sneak into George's bedroom to catch him unaware, but George woke up and went after Elwood. John offered little help to his friend and fled in fear, leaving Elwood alone to face the angry husband in a brawl that carried both men tumbling down the staircase.
0: Like the house staircase from the second floor down to the first? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did anyone die?
1: (laughs) Not at this point. Rather than running for help, Ethel was heard by neighbors screaming, Keep him from hollering! Elwood managed to shoot George three times. Keep him from hollering? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, very incriminating thing to yell, Ethel. Mm -hmm.
1: Elwood shot George three times and hit him repeatedly with a lead pipe. And then Ethel... He's on a mission from God. (laughs) I know. Ethel handed her lover a 14-inch kitchen knife, which that's too long for a knife, I think. For your kitchen? That's like a sword.
0: Yeah, unless you're, well, it depends on how many boar you butcher monthly in your kitchen, I guess. I don't
1: know if Ethel was butchering boar in 1920 Bridgeport, but okay. 14 inches is too big. (laughs) Uh, She handed Elwood this long ass knife and said, finish him off. It's
0: over a foot long, isn't it? Technically a machete. Uh,
1: Yes, I would say so. Stabbed 19 times, George was still moaning, but a final deadly blow to his head cracked his skull and ended his life. Who exactly held the pipe at that moment is unknown, but George's blood was literally and figuratively on both of their hands.
0: Eh, There's no good people in this story.
1: No, not really. Period. (laughs) Right
0: now I feel like there might not be any good people in the world. That's where you (laughs) foot
1: me. Elwood hid Knott's body in a green steamer trunk and carted it away with John, who I guess showed back up to be helpful, and they dumped it in an area of muddy quicksand near Union Cemetery.
0: Oh, you don't say. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The mud again.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, neighbors had become suspicious of the loud music and screaming that had come from the house the night of the murder and alerted police. After a quick search, police discovered a bullet hole lodged in a wall and blood on the bed. After an an intense interrogation, Elwood, John, and Ethel all confessed to their parts in the crime. John cooperated with prosecution for a lesser charge, while Elwood and Ethel were both indicted for first-degree murder. And the only penalty at the time for this, for guilt, was death by hanging.
0: I'm just stuck on the um, body going in the mud again mm-hmm. at Union Cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's almost like several elements of these stories replay themselves over, over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Bad I, juju in the area? I wonder. Or... I wonder if that's what Ed and Lorraine are getting at when they talk about possessions. But it does bring to Lots mind of jealous men. Have we talked about the swamp thing? Uh, story. I
1: think we definitely
0: have. Well, we talked about the one that's like the Winchester house.
1: Yeah, but there was the one with the uh, plantation. Yes. I think we talked about that.
0: So so is it one of those? Is it a Swamp Thing plantation situation?
1: Classic Swamp Thing plantation.
0: Where the same kind of... This, these, you know, spirits are playing out their same horrible, murderous end kind over Kind of like and over a again.
1: American Horror Story Roanoke, too. Same sort of...
0: Yes. Yes, exactly.
1: And hotel... They do that a lot in that show, I think.
0: It's a tale as old as time. Um, (laughs) Maybe. Swamp Thing did it first.
1: Okay. (laughs) Now, their trial was a sensation. Elwood seemed to enjoy the attention and dressed up for the show, showing no signs of worry or concern. He would frequently enjoy a cigar in the courtroom and often whispered, touched, and even kissed Ethel in front of everyone, including his own wife.
0: What do you think you are, John F. Kennedy? What's happening? <laughs> what are you, Louis XIV?
1: Elwood remained calm, even when he was sentenced to death at the end of the trial. He faced the gallows on May 20th, carrying a dozen roses delivered to him from the Bridgeport dairyman, and spoke his last words, the immortal, goodbye, everyone.
0: So his wife, <laughs> A, his wife really was screwing the milkman.
1: No. His mistress was screwing the milkman. Oh, shit. (laughs) I mean, I guess his wife might have been too, but... (laughs) (laughs) Technically. Many had sympathized with Elwood, surprisingly, and his funeral had one of the largest processions in Bridgeport history to that time. But it wasn't the same situation for Ethel.
0: Was the big procession just because of the notoriety?
1: Notoriety, and maybe he was very charming in court, and he was pretty young. He was like 24, I think. Ethel was often portrayed, however, as a woman of loose morals who had kind of lured this younger man into her web. Well. And in contrast to Elwood, she appeared to her trial looking gray and gaunt in all black. Now, this whole appearance caused the press to refer to her very creatively as the vampire. Well, if
0: fits. Listen, she's a murderess. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have that much sympathy.
1: As a final hail mary, Ethel's attorney presented a packet of forty-six explicit love letters written by Ethel to Elwood while they were both in jail.
0: Oh, geez, shades of, um, shades of Jody Arias. Because didn't they like read her, like, yes, explicit but, texts and stuff. Yes,
1: but this was between Ethel and Elwood while they were in prison, awaiting trial.
0: So even sexier.
1: Sure, Sean. Uh, these letters admitted more involvement in the crime than Ethel had first admitted. So why would the defense bring it to the judge? Well, I got an answer for you, Sean.
0: <laughs> I got a question for you. Why? Did, why bring it to the judge?
1: Well, the attorney had also convinced Ethel to change her plea to guilty, hoping for a lesser charge of second-degree murder with the penalty of life in prison, rather than death by hanging. The judge decided to accept the changed plea, not wanting to send a woman to the gallows in Connecticut for the first time since 1786, and so Ethel's life was spared by evidence of her own guilt.
0: And by sexism.
1: Um... Yeah, he also said he didn't want them to read Hang the letters in the judge uh in the in the trial because they were like too explicit and gross. Oh, it's so probably not- like I'll show you my elbow. So you know?
0: not a Jody Area situation.
1: <laughs> I who knows.
0: Where they played those um like voicemails or mm-hmm. whatever, like phone recordings mm-hmm. in court. Um
1: f- so perhaps George still haunts the cemetery today, or maybe the white lady is Ethel, though it doesn't seem in line with her vampire persona to be clad in all white.
0: No, and she also wasn't like wrongfully killed in that story. She was the, the, the horrible murderer in uh, that story. Yeah,
1: but murderers can be ghosts too, Sean.
0: I know, I watch Ghost Adventures, Don't I not be Zach ghostist. Yellop, all kinds of people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So now that brings us finally to the story of the white lady, Union Cemetery's most notorious haunting. Mm. Many have reported seeing her either to the warrens or to the news or even to police. Some of the stories are as follows.
0: I see white ladies all the time, by the way. Especially
1: in Easton. (laughs) (laughs) Brothers Frank and Vincent Barbary lived in the house above Union Cemetery growing up. Frank, at the time of his interview, a retired state trooper, recalled, quote, one spring night when we were boys, we were down in the cemetery playing. That sounds so friggin' fun as a kid. Are you kidding me? Well, to you. <sighs> we were down in the cemetery playing when we saw this very bright light. In the middle of the light was this very attractive woman. She was very close, no more than 200 yards away. We stopped playing and just stared at her as she floated through the cemetery. And that wasn't all. His brother Vincent added that, quote, she wasn't alone. There were these dark forms around her and they seemed to be arguing with her. She was dressed in an old-fashioned veil and long wedding gown.
0: Did you say how far away they were from her?
1: 200 yards. That's
0: two football fields.
1: He said she was very close, so maybe he's
0: confused. 200 yards away, I can't tell you what somebody's wearing. But continue.
1: I mean, if they're wearing all white.
0: Oh, I can tell you a color, yeah. Yeah.
1: Spooked, the boys ran back home and tried to get their parents to come down to Union Cemetery and see the lady for themselves. They did manage to convince their mom, who gamely followed them back. (laughs) Uh, But when they got there, the lady was gone. When their mom saw headlights scan over the grounds of the cemetery, she told her sons that was all they'd seen, just some headlights, but they were insistent on what they'd experienced.
0: I mean, maybe, you know, a a, a particular monument illuminated by headlights and some There other...
1: aren't any person-shaped statues in no, no. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there.
0: 200 yards away, right? So I'm saying just... A stone or an obelisk lit by headlights and then a bunch of darker shapes around it.
1: Yeah, but you're right near the road. So I think you would know that a car had passed by from basically anywhere in the cemetery. Like, I think they would have registered that. But who knows?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is like one end of the cemetery to the other if it's 200 yards. Yeah, I would think.
1: Well, night after night, the Barbary brothers would sit in their bedroom at the window looking for the white lady to appear to- again to no avail. However, years later, Vincent did see her again. He told the Warrens, quote, one night, I was sitting on a ledge up across from the cemetery. I sat there a lot of times, so I look could look for deer to shoot. And when I looked down, you know, typical. When I uh, look,
0: everyone thinks Connecticut is like um, polo shirts, and um,
1: that's a very small area. We also have like our our down-home area, our farmland The land deep area. north. You the know. deep north, yes. You,
0: you, you got a lot of deer hunters, and, uh, and, and further north in the state, you got a lot of farmers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, anyway, continue.
1: Uh, when I looked down into the cemetery, I saw the white lady. This time, there didn't seem to be anybody with her, no dark forms or anything, and no sound of arguing either. She moved up the driveway toward the entrance to the cemetery. I could see her very clearly, and then vanished, just like smoke. On another occasion, Vincent was coming home late at night and saw her once again, just off the road, shining white light with the lady in the middle.
0: Do you feel that once the same person has seen a thing, like, multiple times, do you start to lose credibility after a certain number, like a boy who cried wolf?
1: What I find is interesting is that the boys would kind of wait up and try to spot the lady, and they never saw her for, like, years Until he was down there hunting by himself, probably not expecting to see anything because he was looking for deer and saw something. So I do find that intriguing.
0: How about the third time? You know. Or what if it's that lady? Three's we- company,
1: baby. You remember when we talked about
0: the Men in Black and the Mothman? Mm-hmm. I think it was in our Coast to Coast episode. And um, there's one lady who had seen like three different men in black incidents like I- in yeah, a you're, month Yeah, but if you're the...
1: always around, like you grow up around an area, so let's say you're there for at least 20 years, right? And you see it three times, that's not too crazy.
0: Uh, I think hers were in close succession. But yeah, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I, I'm just saying, you know, this guy's obviously prone to seeing stuff.
1: Well, fine, Sean. The The Barbary brothers are not the only ones to have had experiences with the white lady.
0: But they could just have high perception skill. I'm just, you know, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm just saying. Like other notorious White Lady Cemetery spirits, uh, and you could see our two-part Haunted Cemeteries series for more on those kinds, many have encountered her while driving by. When seen, the White Lady is classically wearing what looks to be a white nightgown or maybe a wedding dress, gliding between Union Cemetery and Stepney Cemetery down the road in nearby Monroe.
0: Yeah, she's very much like the wedding dress lady on the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Yeah
1: shall commonly be seen in the middle of Route 59 and sometimes be hit, quote-unquote, by a passing car only for the poor driver to stop, check, and find no one in the road. One story similar to this was recounted for both Graveyard and the TV show From Beyond by Connecticut native Rod Vexey, who apparently many years later had some legal trouble for blinding his wife with a carrot uh sorry but that's another story for another day with a carrot you say he threw it at her and apparently it blinded her
0: bad luck carrot
1: yes uh vexie is now deceased at the young age of 54 so i won't speculate or speak ill of the dead bad luck carrot but i will share his story as he recounted it In the summer of 1991, Vexy was driving home from the late shift at a lumber supply company where he worked. He took a longer route as he wanted to enjoy the late summer night drive in his new Chevy, and lucky for him, the radio was playing a marathon of Springsteen songs, which he loved. So, likely driving down Route 59, belting out Born to Run or Thunder Road... Blinded by the Light. Not the Man for Man cover, but the original... (laughs) Uh, Vexy passed Union Cemetery on his left. He turned on the fog lights as the rain from a humid summer shower was evaporating from the pavement, got what he called a terrible feeling of not being alone anymore, looked over to his back seat.
0: That's a that's not something i've ever heard before a terrible feeling
1: i've i've it's like getting the creeps like kind of
0: no i know but most people would would associate the word alone with a, being a bad thing <laughs> you know, a terrible feeling well, of not being alone anymore yeah
1: but you're driving late at night in your car you don't you want to be alone no it's just
0: a funny it's a funny way to put it as opposed yeah. to like like someone was watching you
1: yeah i guess that That's exactly how he put it.
0: But is, is this how you felt when you met me for the first time, Carrie? Is a terrible like a, feeling oh, of no. not being alone anymore.
1: <laughs> no, I would probably equate it to when you're going up the stairs at night as a kid and you get like the sudden creeps that there's something behind you.
0: That's how you felt when you met me?
1: Yes. But also, that's probably how he felt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he got this bad feeling. He looked over to his back seat and he spotted a man sitting behind him. Who shouldn't have been there, yeah, and uh, yeah. and he was very freaked out. Uh, they stared at each other, Vexy in shock, and as he looked back at the road, he saw about a hundred feet in front of him a dark-haired woman standing in the middle of the street, wearing a nightgown and glowing with a curious blue radiance. She held up her hand for him to stop, and Vexy stomped on the brakes, and glancing into the back seat once more, saw that the man had vanished.
0: So, who was the man? Do we have a theory?
1: Could be a, uh, one of these many murderous men that are just hanging around.
0: So that was the murderer.
1: Could a murderer? There's too many involved with the cemetery. Are
0: there versions of this? Does anyone try to connect this to a car a accident, specific... like a you know, is it the classic uh, girl walking home from a dance gets hit by a car? Sometimes she stops boys. I or... kind
1: of go. I, I'll mention that in a little bit after we talk about this particular story, but nothing concrete.
0: Because we did one or two of those in our um, Haunted Cemeteries Mm -hmm. episode, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Vexy opened the driver's side window to yell to the woman to get out of the way, but it appeared she didn't hear him. And as the car fishtailed to his horror and then astonishment, the Chevy passed right through the woman. He said he felt the icy coldness of her touching his shoulder and cheek as it happened. And once he came to a stop, he looked back. She was still standing there, and he noticed her nightgown was old-fashioned, a style from maybe a century before, and she wore a brooch on a golden chain hanging from her neck. She turned and walked away down the road, and though he yelled to her to attempt to help, because he didn't know what was going on, she became lost in the swirling fog and vanished completely. A feeling of terrible sorrow overcame Vexy, and when he finally made it home, all he could do was, in his words, sob like a small child whose parent had just died. Vexy went on to say, quote, my life has not been the same since, despite some very good fortune, and he did win the Connecticut State Lottery at some point for like $2 million. Okay. I don't know if that was before or after this.
0: Not cursed then, although some people say winning <laughs> the lottery is a curse
1: said, I've never been able to forget that night or the feelings it invoked in me. After contacting the Warrens, Lorraine would tell him, sometimes a paranormal experience gives us insight into ourselves that we almost can't handle. And Vexy thought that it was definitely the truth in his case, uh, and he had some very unfortunate things happen to him later in his life, and again, he died pretty young. Drugs? I don't know. Oh. Well, there was the carrot thing, and right divorce obviously and then um he died when he was like 54
0: do we know how he died that's sad
1: uh i don't i think he was in the hospital that was all the obituary said ed warren also saw the white lady after spending many nights investigating union cemetery he was becoming discouraged of ever seeing her when at two forty a.m one late summer night an unnatural silence overcame the area he began to record, and a glow appeared, eventually taking the shape of a woman, who he described as about 30 years old with dark hair and a flowing white gown. Warren stated that there were dark figures surrounding her, shapes that seemed to jump on her and argue with her. And those kind of remind me of, like, those little demon things, the shadows from the movie Ghost. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like like uh, uh, the ones that come to drag you to hell if it's you're like, a, bad, <laughs> a bad person or, like, a criminal. Mm-hmm
1: she began to walk towards him but as he looked through the viewfinder he saw that to the camera she wasn't there and soon after she vanished though later after checking the footage he was able to spot the white lady gliding between the headstones
0: here's my question Hmm. I have heard of this videotape before it exists it does
1: yeah it's on the, the Warren's YouTube page now like a little intro if you look it up
0: okay and what it's is like it? like
1: warren's white lady footage if you look so at tell it. me
0: about it what does it look like
1: i mean it's very grainy uh because it's from the early 90s at, at the latest i think um so it's very hard to see but you do see like a light colored figure walking between the headstones at the very end of it
0: and we are now looking at the footage yeah, all you can see on the tape is like definitely a white figure mm-hmm. moving,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but but it's you can't get any more detail than that. I could And this is
1: like ripped off of an old old VHS. Oh sure, I couldn't and compressed. So who knows what it actually looked like on the tape and then in person? But that's cou- what it is.
0: I couldn't tell you what it. Um, I couldn't tell you that it was a cemetery.
1: Hmm. Okay. Right. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I knew it was a cemetery, so I, like, I don't, I don't have that perspective of going into it blind. But
0: yeah, but it's literally like three blobs.
1: You can kind of see there's like an obelisk, and then the headstones, mm-hmm. and then there's the the figure. Yeah, and it like kind of disappears.
0: So yep. never before seen footage. Now he released that in s- September of 2020. Well,
1: this is the guy that's kind of overlooking the Warrens legacy now and so they're probably posting some of these clips so yeah if you go to youtube it's under world exclusive never before seen footage ed warren captures the white lady of union graveyard i might have seen this when i um saw lorraine's presentation back in like 2006 she showed some video clips i don't remember specifically but this is the kind of stuff that they would show so most famously for Union, an off-duty fireman thought he hit a woman in white while driving one evening in 1993, only to find nothing in the road but a large dent in his car. So as he recounted to the Easton Courier in 1998, quote, "...two Transformers caught on fire in front of the Stepney Cemetery off Route 25. Glenn Pennell, a fireman, raced to the scene in his pickup truck." A police officer was with him. As Pennell arrived at the cemetery, he was horrified to see a woman wearing a white gown dart in front of his truck. Mm-hmm. I slammed on the brakes, Pennell said. I hit her. The impact was like I hit a brick wall. The woman rolled up onto the hood of the truck and fell to the ground. There's a lot of detail. It's not
0: like it was just like thud and mm-hmm. and, and this she was is gone. A
1: fireman driving with a policeman witness. A woman driving behind Pennell shouted at him. How could you hit that woman? Didn't you see her? Pennell's grief gave way to fear when he looked around his truck and found nothing there. Yet the front of his truck was dented in. It was not a deer or a cow. Which, a cow would be crazy in that area. But maybe. they uh, have
0: farms in Houston? Yeah, uh,
1: It was a woman, a solid object. This is commonly seen as one of the most credible sightings of the white lady and one of the most credible accounts of a ghost experience in this state. So who is the white lady? Ooh, great question. Do we have theories? Mm -hmm. It could be the spirit of Ellen Smathers uh, or maybe it was someone else. Paranormal investigator Thomas D'Agostino wrote in the Yankee Express, quote, Another prime candidate might be the soul of Ethel Hutchinson Knott, wife of George Knott, who Elwood Wade murdered in 1920. See, so you yeah, remember of this? Of
0: course,
1: yeah. Uh, the two concocted to murder the husband, but were caught and brought to justice. She spent the rest of her life in prison. Wade was hanged. There are no records of her life after that, but it's conceivable that she may be haunting the area looking for restitution. Restitution? She's a murderer. She could be bound to the locale by eternal remorse.
0: She doesn't seem like the remorse in type.
1: <laughs> now, also, um, one of our old friends who has guested on the show, Nick Grossman, who is a paranormal investigator in the area. they're yes. actually uh, having a, a tour investigation to Union Cemetery in April.
0: Yeah, Ghost Storm is the name of Nick's uh, ghost hunting crew.
1: Mm -hmm. And they were just talking about it on his Facebook page. Um, He was asking if anyone knew about the White Lady and and any of those legends. And someone had responded that they heard the legend around her was that um, there was a couple in a carriage on the way to be married at Our Lady of the Rosary Church in nearby Stepney. And then they tragically got into some kind of accident, and either just her or her and her fiancé died. Uh, The white lady was buried in the Stepney Cemetery, and the soon-to-be-husband buried in Union down the road. So she walks between the two, searching for him. Tragic. And that's why she's often seen on the road between Easton and Stepney. And Stepney, by the way, is... um, Well, first, where our friends Nick and Tara from Unloaded Questions, the podcast, Got Married. Mm -hmm. And it's also where the Warrens themselves are buried.
0: Oh, well, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that's my favorite version of the story.
1: Oh, there's one. There's some others that are very interesting.
0: Okay. I I love the eternal love (laughs) angle of that, but sure. Mm -hmm. Well, this kind
1: of has to do with that. Another suggested identity for the lady in white is one Harriet B. Seely. That's S-E-E-L-E-Y. Though there are quite a few Harriets buried in Union, none match this name exactly. But if it's due to like a misreading or a conflation of different women, then there are two possible candidates. There's Harriet Seeley Bryan. So maybe, you know, the initials were switched around. She died in 1836, and there's also a Harriet R. Seeley, who died in 1853. Both died in the prime of their lives and both are buried at Union. Harriet Seely Bryan, daughter of Patience and Elijah Seely, was born on October 19, 1815. She married Titus A. Bryan on February 10, 1836, and just nine days later, tragically died. Oh, Jesus. Her tombstone reads, Strongest ties, how soon they're severed. Brightest prospects soon are gone. Fairest blossoms soon are withered. Born by death unto the tomb. Now, for her part, Harriet R. Seeley died eight days after giving birth in May 1853 to a son that also tragically died. Oh,
0: jeez. Uh, but that's just living in the 1850s, right? Yeah.
1: She was only 24 years old. Her epitaph reads, Nay, do not weep. You'll all come soon.
0: Do we know or just assume that they died of tuberculosis? Not What? She and, her, she and her infant dying? like with, Well, the, you know? the
1: son just died because he was a baby and, and a bad time to be born, and she died because she was a mother and a bad time to give birth.
0: She didn't die in childbirth,
1: did I mean, she? she died a few days later. She probably had an infection and died. Oh. People were still delivering babies with dirty hands. Mm. So, Sean, <laughs> what do you think about the hauntings? of union cemetery
0: i'm still dealing with the childbirth of dirty hands <laughs> um it, it's
1: creepy and i do i do
0: carry a certain amount of pride in uh, knowing that uh, right here in connecticut we have some of the best and most haunted uh haunting spots
1: even though you don't believe in hauntings
0: i certainly don't um
1: <sighs> one day
0: here's the here's the problem No, of course I. Well, yeah, no, of course I don't uh, uh, believe in it. Care. Um, We don't have any eyewitnesses that are closer than like you know a couple of hundred yards from this thing. They could have seen. What
1: about the guy, the retired or the off-duty fireman and the police officer who hit her with the car?
0: Now that is the freakiest thing connected to this, for sure. But I have a friend from work who says that he thought he hit a person in the road by Mm -hmm. union cemetery Mm -hmm. and then got out of his car and there was nothing there.
1: So doesn't that lend credence to it? No, I think that it's a personal experience from someone, you know,
0: I think that stuff can just happen. Mm, There's a huge dent. At night on the road, and uh, you know, you're maybe starting to doze off, and you think multiple
1: there were multiple people in the car who saw a woman and a woman driving behind saying, How could you hit that woman?
0: That one is
1: I don't know, Sean. I don't think you could worm your way out of this one.
0: That one's amazing, but it's only one story. That's the only. part of this that's interesting
1: there's only one story of going to the moon and you believe in that
0: all of it's interesting but this that's the only thing that actually makes me go hmm like ed ed warren's clip of maybe a person moving around in some kind of a field that That i didn't think was going to
1: convince you but i mean you can't you can't worm out of the consistency of this story what do you mean the, the, the fireman and the police officer and the other lady, like that's, oh, that's multiple witnesses. Yes. That's physical evidence. I thought you meant the consistency
0: across all no, but white I mean, lady incarnations. It is which...
1: pretty consistent, I mean, even with your friend having the exact same experience. That's very interesting.
0: But he's heard the story of other people having that experience. That's why that happened to him.
1: Was there a dent in his car? No. Are you sure about yes. that? Yes. <laughs> well, sometimes she, she sometimes she goes through, sometimes she doesn't. You know which friend this is. A friend from work? Yeah.
0: You know which friend this is.
1: <sighs> Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, We're taking a trip to the Bazaar Bazaar.
0: Oh, breathe it in, Carrie. Oh, the food court's over there. (laughs) God, I love every time we come back here. This place is the selection's just great. Okay, what are we learning about today?
1: Well, I didn't have this on my 2022 bingo card, but here we are. A Japanese boulder said in legend to have contained an evil spirit for almost a thousand years was found inexplicably split in
0: two. Oh, this is the beginning of a great horror movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, as if we didn't need anything else to worry about. According to mythology, the Seki, or Killing Stone contained the transformed corpse of Tamamo no a beautiful woman alleged to have been part of a feudal warlord's secret plot to kill Emperor Toba, who reigned from 1107 to 1123. Tamamo no May's true identity, according to legend, was actually transformed corpse? Yeah, I guess into a inside of a rock. I don't know. This is what they said.
0: Like just into rock? I don't know.
1: <laughs> it was it, her spirit was in the rock somehow. Do tell. Well, Tamamo Me's true identity, according to legend was actually an evil nine tailed fox, kind of like on Lovecraft country. A kitsune? Mm-hmm, whose spirit was embedded in the chunk of lava. The stone was named a local historical site in 1957 and has been mentioned in fictional works as well as inspired a play, novel, and anime film. Hmm. The breaking open of the boulder seems to have happened within the last few days and has spooked those who believe in the legend, who also note that according to folklore, the stone continually leaks poisonous gas, hence the name Killing Stone.
0: Um, oh, I thought it was because it, it contained a soul. No? I think it's
1: it's everything. It's, it's just everything. general vibe. It
0: also kills you to get close.
1: <laughs> Some speculate that the spirit of Tamamo no Me has finally been released after a thousand years, while others think that nature has simply taken its course. Mm-hmm. The Shimotsuke Shimbun newspaper has reported that local and national government officials will meet to discuss the stone's fate and quoted a Nasu tourism official as saying he would like to see the Sesoseki restored to its original form, presumably with its demonic inhabitant sealed inside.
0: Well, um, I I would love to see the same, but... Well... I think... (laughs) Isn't this like a once the... Once the cows out of the barn situation yeah i
1: I think that that uh that egg can't be unbroke so to speak
0: you let the fox demon out uh, that's one doodle that can't be undead home slice or what the fuck did dwight say in that uh uh, in the worst moment in cinema history
1: i don't know i lobotomized myself to forget it but uh if we run across any evil nine-tailed fox demons um we'll be sure to update you but I don't think you'll need to hear that from us. You'll probably have already heard about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, we won't be the uh, front line on that one. No.
1: That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary and check out our new revitalized website at improved. you can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com ain't it scary and please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on apple podcasts and also now on spotify we'll be forever grateful
0: we sure will and we are getting stuff up there this week it has um it's been a little bit of slow going, but we're, we're up on that Patreon grind, baby. Mm-hmm. And we are stacking content up over there. Um, go and get at it. And we want to give special thanks to the folks uh, who are already at those content tiers over on Patreon. Our very best Patreon friends, um, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, and Christy Atchison. And uh, we have a brand new patron we want to extend a welcome to this week um Thanks for joining us, Maddie. We uh, we love you very much. We've been <laughs> throwing messages back and forth with Maddie,
1: and um, if you want to join us and and get into that sweet sweet content, patreon.com slash ain't it scary?
0: We're slinging hot tent, and it's just oh. uh, it's just um, really really nice to know that people are hearing and enjoying uh, this, and that you know that we can um, brighten anybody's day. So uh, thank you.
1: See you next Thursday.
0: Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb.
1: This has been a production of Longboy Media.
0: So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality.
1: That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts. People who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.